0: Generation from glory to glory, grace to grace, strength to strength, as our days are, so shall our strength be, the Bible says. Can somebody please say amen? amen. So, our dear friend Aaron, first of all, can we give Aaron Salvato a huge round of applause for putting on this awesome gift? We love you, Aaron. We're rooting for you. Now, Aaron just found out a few moments ago that his wife is in the emergency room and has a kidney infection. So we're going to just stop and say a word of prayer for the Salvato family and believe that he is the God who heals, as the Bible says. So let's just stop and say a word of prayer for the Salvatos together. Lord, we thank you so much for Aaron. We thank you for the fact that he has put on such an epic camp this week. We thank you for all the hard work he's put in and all the effort he's put in to make this happen. And now we pray for him just to have inner peace from you, that you would heal his wife, that you would touch her even now in the emergency room, that you would remove the infection in her kidneys, and that you would give her wholeness and health. We pray this in Jesus' name. And I also pray, Lord, that as we study the scriptures together, that you would speak to us powerfully. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, would you please turn with me to Matthew chapter five? And while you are turning to Matthew chapter five, let me ask you is there anybody here who likes to study the history of World War II? Do we have any World War II history fans? I love studying the history of World War II. Now, um, do you remember Joseph Stalin? Joseph Stalin, his name literally means man of steel. And Joseph Stalin had a particular hand symbol. Does anybody remember what Joseph Stalin's hand symbol was? The clenched fist, because he ruled with the iron fist of USSR communism. Then if you go over to the Axis powers, you have a guy named Adolf Hitler, who was the anti-Semitic orator of the Nazi regime and the Third Reich. Adolf Hitler, does anybody remember what his hand symbol was? I hope nobody takes a picture of this. Your parents would be like, what camp are you going to? He had the outstretched palm. Then if you go over to the ally powers, you have the great, big, lovable Winston Churchill. I love Winston Churchill. I love, just parenthetically, this doesn't have anything to do with the message, but, but one time Nancy Astor was talking to Winston Churchill, and um, she said, I love this, Winston, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea." He said, Nancy, if you were my wife, I would drink it. Come on. (laughs) One time somebody is like, Bessie Braddock, she's like, Winston, you're drunk. And he's like, madam, you're ugly. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'll be sober and you'll still be ugly. But anyways, he was very, very witty. Now, Winston Churchill, um, he also had, I love this, he also had his own hand symbol. Does anybody remember what it was? What was his hand symbol? The V for victory. V for victory. When I go to the Medford airport where I live, there's a poster, a billboard, an advertisement of Winston Churchill doing the V for victory sign. And there's a quote of his that says, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it. That's just so epic. And Winston Churchill, he had the V for victory sign. So you have Joseph Stalin, the man of steel, with the clenched fist. You have Adolf Hitler with the outstretched palm. You have Winston Churchill with the V for victory. If you put it all together, what do you get? Rock, paper, scissors. And scissors always wins. Because the V for victory is also the peace sign. In the Bible, Paul the Apostle equates peace with victory. The Bible says, as Paul wrote the Romans, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. As surely as Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are going to crush LeBron and the Cavs next year, as surely as Winston Churchill crushed Adolf Hitler... That is how certain it is that God will crush. The God of peace, Paul says, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So the God of peace is also the God of victory. In fact, did you know that Paul's favorite title for God, the title that Paul used for God more than any other title, is that he is the God of peace. That is who your God is. And that is significant because we are all looking for inner peace. Every one of us, we're looking for inner peace. Isaiah chapter 26, verse three says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Do you want inner peace tonight? Do you want to have the V for victory, victorious life and have inner peace? He is the God of peace. And Isaiah 26, three says, he will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. But it all begins with your mind. The Bible often talks about how we have to change our mind. Joshua 1 says, if we meditate on the law of God and don't turn to the right or to the left, we'll prosper in everything we do. Psalm chapter 1 says, if we meditate day and night on the law, we'll be like trees planted by the rivers of water. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Romans 12 says, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Paul the Apostle says we're to take our thoughts captive. Philippians 4, eight says we're to meditate on what's lovely. Jesus said we're to love God with all of our mind. So your mind is a battlefield, and when you turn your cares into prayers, your stresses into supplications, your worries into worship, and your fear into faith in Father, and you stop panicking, and you start praising the God of peace, you will have inner peace in your heart. Would somebody please say, church. church. He is the God of peace and he wants to put inner peace in your heart, but it begins with your mind the way you think. I want to encourage you to think like a proton and be positive. Now, I'm not just saying positive, airy-fairy, happy-clappy, hunky-dory, easy-peasy, wishy-washy, pie-in-the-sky thoughts. I'm saying be positive of what Pete was singing tonight. Be positive of the goodness of God. Hebrews 11.1 one says, faith is to be positive or certain of what you hope for. You've got to be certain and positive of the goodness of God. That yes, life is tough, but God is tougher. But Ben, I don't have any, any inner peace because honestly, I didn't get mocha this morning. Hashtag the struggle is real. Hashtag the struggle is real, but so is God. Come on, Life is tough. But God is tougher. Life is a battle, but the battle is the Lord's. And no one ever injured their eyesight by looking on the bright side. You say, well, I look at the sun and it hurts my eyes. Well, you're looking at the wrong sun. Stop looking at the S-U-N and start looking at the S-O-N. And when you look on the bright side, the light of the world, no one ever injures their eyesight. You say, but Ben, I'm broken. I'm broke like a joke. Well, Jesus not only calls himself the light of the world, he calls you the light of the world. And life is like a glow stick. Sometimes you got to break before you shine. And if you feel broken today, it's because God wants you to be the light of the world. So when when you're put in tough situations, if you focus on the God of peace, you'll no longer say, why me? You'll just say, try me. You'll say, the more desperate the case, the more room for God's grace. So I'm going to be strong when everything's going wrong because my past supply is not my last supply. Would somebody please say, church. This is how God has called us to live. He's called us to have this inner peace as we focus on the God of peace. So when's the last time you took time to think about what you're thinking about? Did you know that scientists tell us that the average person has over 30,000 thoughts every day? That's a lot of thoughts. When's the last time you took time to think about what you're thinking about? Everything emerges from here, from the mind. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You have 30,000 thoughts every day. In fact, did you know that science tells us that how you think even affects your health? Scientists call this the placebo effect. They call it the psychosomatic effect, which are just fancy words, which simply mean how you think affects your health. Interestingly enough, scientists tell us that 75 to 95% of the sicknesses that plague us today are a direct result of thought life. Is that crazy? 75 to, this is what medical science is telling us today. 75 to 95% of the sicknesses that plague us today are a direct result of how we think. Two of the typical diseases of modern life, the stomach ulcer and coronary thrombosis, doctors say, are most often caused by stress. Which is funny because the Bible taught this thousands of years ago. And medical science is now catching up to that. In the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, listen to this, a merry heart does good like medicine. But a broken spirit rots the bones. If you're broken, man, it rots your bones, affects your health, gives you sickness. But if you have a merry heart, it works like medicine. Did you know it's a scientific fact that people who laugh more live longer? Because here's why, scientifically and biologically, when you laugh, you release neuropeptides in your body, which strengthen your immune system and thereby enhance and increase your longevity. So if you want to beat the common cold, laugh at all my jokes. (laughs) But if you laugh, it actually helps you to live longer. The Bible is saying this. If you have a merry heart, it actually works in your body like medicine. Because here's the fact of the matter. It's not, life is like maybe 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to the 10% that happens to you. Life is about like not reacting, but responding. How do you think about your problems? Because the fact of the matter is medical science is always working on adding years to our life, but only God can add life to our years. (laughs) And we need to start changing the way we think about our problems. Like life's going to hand you a lot of dandelions. So what do you mean dandelions? Well, did you know botanists say that there is no scientific difference between a flower and a weed? Did you know that? There's actually no objective difference or contradistinction between a flower and a weed. Botanists tell us it's all subjective, meaning it's all determined by the mindset of the gardener. For example, if you see a dandelion in your gravel, you might say, I need to kill that weed. But your little daughter might say, actually, I think that weed is very cute. Because I think it's a flower. When looking at a dandelion, those wishing weed plants, what do you see? The weed or the wish? Friends, with everything you gain, you're going to lose something. Like when you gain a baby, you lose sleep. And you can either focus on the blessing or you can focus on the curse. You can either focus on the weed or you can focus on the wish. Don't focus on the difficulty in every opportunity. Focus on the opportunity in every difficulty. That's how you have to think. The Bible says our God is the God of hope. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But it's how you think about your problems. Kind of reminds me of when Jesus and Peter were in a boat one day. Jesus got out of the boat and started walking on water. Jesus was doing all these laps around the boat. And Peter looked at Jesus walking on water and he said, no way. And Jesus said, Yahweh. Friends, when you go through storms, you don't say no way. You say Yahweh. You don't focus on the size of your storm swells. You focus on the size of your strong savior. You don't focus on the power of your giant. You focus on the greatness of Jehovah. You don't focus on the fatality of the grave. You focus on the faithfulness of your God. You don't see the weed. You see the wish. You don't focus on what you lose. You're focused on what you gain. You're not seeing the difficulty in every opportunity, but the opportunity in every difficulty. It's a different way to think about life. And you know, when you walk with God, you can even have inner peace when you're facing death. Truly. Even when facing death, you can have peace. When I was a kid, I used to get stung by a bumblebee a lot. And I would go to my mom and I'd say, Mom, I just got wounded. Put this Freddie Flintstones band-aid on my wound. She would say, Ben, I know that bee hurt you, but you know what happens to a bee when it stings you? It dies. Stings you once, it dies. Ben, you beat the bee. I say, no, mom, the bee stung me. The bee beat me. No, you beat the bee. I say, how did I beat the bee? She said, that bee hurt you, but whenever that bumblebee stings you, it dies. So you beat the bee. When Jesus died on the cross, death hurt him. But when death tried to hurt Jesus, the Bible teaches that something happened to death. It died. The Bible says, O oh grave, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your thing? He's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings who puts death to death, so we don't got to be scared to death of death. At the place of the skull, he crushes the skull of the serpent. So like that bumblebee, it hurts me, but it dies. So too, Jesus got hurt by death, but death died. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, bumblebee of death, where is your sting? Come on, somebody please say church. God has called you to have this inner peace, even in the face of death. I love Jesus, man. Whenever he's faced with death, he's always giving people inner peace always. Jesus put the fun back in funeral. He did. Everywhere he goes, he turns the funeral into a festival. He goes to Jairus' daughter, raises her from the dead according to Luke. Talitha kumi, little lamb, arise. And when he raises her from the dead, the first thing he says is give her something to eat. Raising from the dead works up an appetite. Bring in the animal style fries. True story. Then we see Jesus outside of the town of Nain. And Jesus, he sees this funeral procession outside of Nain. And he sees the carcass of a a boy. And the boy's only mother was there. Or the, well, it was his only mother. (laughs) He was her only son. And she was weeping. She was crying. But little did she know, little did she know that this boy, who was the only son of this mother, was about to meet God's only son the only son of the heavenly father. And Jesus goes up to this lady, and I love it. He says, weep not. Do you know how, I've done some funerals in my life. Do you know how much chutzpah that would take to go up to a widow who just lost her only child, her whole family, and then say, don't cry? That is like bad apple awesome sauce. That would take so much chutzpah to say, don't cry. But why could he say that? Why could he say, do not cry? Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You know how we say, oh man, that band is life or that artist is life. Jesus says, I am life. John 14 verse 6, I am life. Oh, raspberries, they're God's sour patch kids. They're life. Jesus says, I am life. And he comes, speaks life into dead things, hope into weary souls, says, weep not. Why? Because he touches the carcass of the boy and the boy comes back to life in the story. I love that. Then you see, Jesus goes to Lazarus' tomb. And there Jesus is at Lazarus' tomb and Lazarus was dead for four days and Jesus was four days late and Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, say, if you had only come earlier, Lazarus would not have died. But little did they know when Jesus was four days late, he was right on time. Like Gandalf the Grey, Jesus is never early and he's never late. He's always right on time. Would somebody please say church? Yeah. So, Jesus, I love this. He goes to Lazarus's tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, why didn't he just say come forth? My dad, who's a Bible teacher, he suggests that it's because if Jesus just said, come forth, all the dead people would have come out of their tombs, and it would have been like a zombie apocalypse, a bunch of dead people coming forth because the resurrection and the life says, come forth. So he specifically says, Lazarus, come forth. And in his mummy swaddling burial clothes, he comes out of the grave and comes back to life because Jesus puts the F-U-N back in roll. He turns the funeral into a festival. Friends, you can even have this inner peace when you're facing death. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said in John chapter five, verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in him who hath sent me has passed from death to life. See, when you die, friends, it's gonna be like going from womb to world. It's like going from being a caterpillar to then becoming a butterfly. It's like watching the Minions movie to then moving on to Star Wars. That is how great the jump is going to be from this life into the world God has created for us as children of the Father in heaven. So we don't even have to be scared to death of death. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? Are you mowing what I'm growing? Are you catching what I'm pitching? This is big, man. You really do have this inner peace when you walk with the Lord. So that leads us to Matthew chapter 5. What we're going to talk about tonight is how you can have this mindset of inner peace. As you live with the king, this this passage has been called the manifesto of the king. This is where the king talks about his kingdom. And first we're going to see what your identity in this kingdom is. And then we're going to see how from your identity will flow action. You're going to see who you are in the Lord, like your identity, and how that will affect your day-to-day life as you put wheels on it, and as you put feet to your faith, as we consider what it means to be with the king and how this gives us inner peace. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Now, before we do this, actually, I must say one more thing. These are called the Beatitudes. Everybody, please say Beatitude. These are not do-attitudes. These are Beatitudes. It's a state of being. We are not human doings. We're human beings. It's not about what we can do for the king. It's a state of being with the king, as our theme is. Now, it's called a beatitude because it comes from the Latin word "beatus." Everybody say "beatus," and "beatus" means blessed. And in this passage, Jesus gives you your identity in that He calls you blessed, just like Mary, blessed and highly favored of the Lord. You are blessed. Let's take a look. Matthew chapter five, verse three. Please look down at your Bible. In this passage, Jesus says, Blessed, Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are, I love this, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are broke like a joke. I love how Jesus calls you blessed. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, You're too blessed to be stressed. You're blessed. Even if you have poverty of spirit, look at verse 4. This gets crazier. Look at verse 4. Look down at verse 4. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Listen to this. That word for mourning in Greek, we're going to get deep for like four minutes, and then we're going to come back up to the surface. So put your thinking caps on. This is cool. That word for mourn in Greek is the most intense word for mourning in the Greek syntax. It's actually the word used of somebody who mourns a loved one at a funeral. Blessed are you who mourn like those who mourn for the dead, for you will be comforted. Look at verse five, I love this, verse five. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Uh, That word meek in Greek is praeus. Everybody please say praeus. And praeus was the word used of a stallion that was wild and then was broken and learned to respond to the reign of command, the reign of the rider. So too blessed are you when you're broke because then you respond to the rule and reign of the king as you live with the king. Because even if you're broken, it's okay. Life is like a glow stick. Sometimes you gotta what? Break before you shine. Look at verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, the, the, the grammar in Greek is awesome. It can literally be transliterated. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for the whole of righteousness, for you shall be filled. Modern day language, it's not just blessed are you who want a pizza slice of righteousness, it's blessed are you who want the whole Ninja Turtles pizza box of righteousness. It's not just blessed are you who want a Dixie cup of righteousness, but blessed are you who chug the whole pitcher. That's what the Greek is implying. It's literally blessed blessed are those who starve for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Take a look at verse 7. I love this. Verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed, there it is, too blessed to be stressed. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Remember, Jesus spoke this in Aramaic. Matthew transliterated it into Greek. Now, Jesus, being a Jewish teacher, would talk about mercy in a way that his Hebrew audience understood. To the Hebrews, the word mercy was the word chazed. Everybody, please say chazed. Chazed. Jezed meant you learn to get inside of other people's skin, to feel with their feelings, to see through their eyes, and to walk in their shoes. Blessed are you when you feel for other people. When you, as the Bible says, weep with those who weep. When you know that sometimes your friends can't see the world clearly because their eyes are blurred by tears. And you learn to see the world through their eyes. Blessed are you, for you shall receive mercy. Look down at verse 8. Blessed, I love this, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That word for pure in Greek is the word katharos. Everybody please say katharos. This was used as a military term. Um, if, an, if an army was purged of the discontented, cowardly and inefficient soldiers and it was only made up of the first class fighting force, only made up of like Jason Bourne, can't wait, Chris Kyle, you know, uh, American sniper, Marcus Luttrell, Jack Bauer, bomb.com, James Bond warriors, when an army was only made up of like the Navy SEALs and the army marine recons and green berets, when the army was purged of all cowardly soldiers, that army was called catharos. That's the same word Jesus uses. Blessed are you when your heart is purged of all the cowardly desires and you purify the attitudes of your heart, then you will see God when your heart's desires are only the first class fighting force. I love verse nine. Look down at verse nine. Jesus again uses the word blessed. Jesus says, this is your identity. You're too blessed to be stressed. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. This one's hard for me. Sometimes when people are mean to me, I think, do you eat nothing but the souls of kittens and the dreams of impoverished children? (laughs) Why? Why? You know what Jesus says? Make peace with them. They're too blessed to be stressed out about whatever they're saying about you or doing to you. Just make peace with them. I love this. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 Jesus says, Blessed, I love this, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for great is their reward in heaven, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. This is our last deep part. Listen, that word for rejoice and be exceedingly glad, that phrase in the Greek is agal, I ask thy. Would everybody please say agal, I astai. What it literally meant is leap for joy. The early Christians could read in Greek, so when they read this phrase, "Agalaiasthai" when you're persecuted, they took it literally. And history tells us that sometimes when Christians were about to be burned at the stake, they would leap for joy. And their persecutors were so confused. They're like, why are you Agalaiasthai right now? Because they're like, we're too blessed to be stressed, sucka. (laughs) Our reward is going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Wow, this is your identity, man. You are too blessed to be, it's true man, that is who you are. These are not do attitudes, they're be attitudes and they're not bad attitudes because a bad attitude is like a flat tire, you can't go anywhere until you change it. So this is a different way to think, this is a different attitude about life. Oh man, I love this, I love this. Now, what in the world does it mean to be blessed? All I know is that when I sneeze, I just want people to say, God bless you. But I never really knew what it meant. If I sneeze and nobody says, God bless you, it's one of my pet peeves. I just sneeze again until they bless me. <laughs> but this word for bless, you got to know, like, like when you say God bless you, do you know what a beautiful phrase that is? It's interesting, the word uh, beatific, it's an English word that means beautiful, comes from this word beatus, which means blessed. And I love this. It's one of the most beautiful phrases you can use when you say, God bless you. It's beautiful. Here's why. Um, This word for blessed in the Greek language is the word makarios. It is my favorite Greek word. Makarios. Would everybody please say makarios. makarios. Now here's what it meant. The feminine form of the adjective was he makaria. Here's what it meant in Jesus's day. The word makarios was actually the nickname of an island in Greece that's called Cyprus. Forty years ago, there was a president in Cyprus called Makarios III. Makarios is the nickname of the island of Cyprus. Why is that significant? It's about to get cool. Because that island, the Greeks said, had all the fruits, flowers, trees, minerals, natural resources, climb, climb, It and weather that would make for a person's perfectly happy life. It is sunny with a high of 75. It is the Bahamas. It is the Caribbean. It is Mallorca. It is Oahu. It is Waikiki Beach. It is Maui. It is Fiji. It is Tahiti. What is Jesus saying? Oh, the happy island bliss of those who are too blessed to be stressed. How cool is that? That's what the word means. In fact, that word Macarius wasn't even used of humans in Jesus' day. It was always used of God's. Jesus is saying, oh, the God-like bliss, the happy island bliss of those who walk with me. Now notice who he's blessing. This is your identity, friends, as you live with the king. As we study the manifesto of the king, he says you are too blessed to be stressed. That is your identity. But who is he blessing? He's blessing, verse 3, those who are broke like a joke. Verse four, those who mourn like those who mourn for the dead. Verse five, those who are broken like a stallion preyotes. Verse six, those who are starving. Verse seven, those who weep with those who weep. Verse eight, those who purge their hearts. Verse nine, those who have to make peace with those who wrong them. Verse 10, those who are persecuted. Those are the people that Jesus says are on the happy island of God-like bliss. Makarios, too blessed to be stressed. Why? I'll tell you why. Drum roll, please. Because on your worst day with God, you are better off than on your best day without God. Would somebody please say, Preach it, white boy? Why you got to be so racist? (laughs) On your worst day with God, you are better off than on your best day without God. You can't do enough good things to get God. It's not about what you do. You can't do enough good things to get God. You can't do enough bad things to lose God. Lo, I'm with you always, Jesus said, even to the ending of the age, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And on your worst day with God, you're still on the happy island of God-like joy. Even when there's storms of persecution and mourning and starvation, Jesus said, no man can take your joy from you. They can take everything from you, but they can't take your joy from you. And that's why a lot of times, celebrities who, who don't have that friendship with God tend to be really depressed. Here's why. Um, Shia LaBeouf. Just do it. Shia LaBeouf. When he was at the pinnacle of his popularity, he was, uh, he had the it factor. He was Steven Spielberg's poster child. He was the highest grossing actor of my generation. And, um, when he was at the top of his career, just after he had made like Indiana Jones and Eagle Eye and all the Transformers movies, he was giving an interview to Parade Magazine. And he said, at the pinnacle of his success, making the box office billions of dollars as a 20-something. And he gets to be in a movie with Megan Fox. I mean, the guy was living the dream. And he said to Parade Magazine, I have a God-sized hole in my heart that nothing can fill, and I have no idea why I am an alcoholic. Then you go over to Troy Aikman. After Troy Aikman won the Super Bowl with the Dallas Cowboys, he went to his hotel room, ordered pizza, and sat there and thought, what is the meaning of life? Jim Carrey said, I wish everybody could be rich, famous, and have everything they ever wanted, so they could see it was the answer to nothing. Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, sings after selling tens of millions of albums Time is so short, and I'm sure there must be something more. Tom Brady, after he won three Super Bowl rings, married a supermodel named Giselle, goes on 60 Minutes and says, I've won three Super Bowl rings. Everybody thinks I have everything. But he said, is this it? There's got to be something more. Because you could win the Super Bowl. You could date Megan Fox. You could be making the box office billions of dollars, and you could be a comedian like Jim Carrey, but if you don't have an awareness of his thereness, it's a hellhole. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all for following your dreams. Like, I'm huge into that. My favorite verse in the Bible is Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you're delighting in God, you gotta follow your dreams, absolutely. But if we have the desires of our heart, but we don't have a delight in the Lord, we're gonna be really depressed. Because on our best day without God, we are worse off than on our worst day with God. Would somebody say church? Church. So you, my friends, have a joy that no man can take from you. As we begin to descend this plane, would you please look down at verse 13? That's your identity. Okay, your identity. You're too blessed to be stressed. Not do attitudes, be attitudes. But action will outflow from this identity. When you understand that you're too blessed to be stressed, you then go take that happy island of God-like bliss and you go spread the hope and the good news to the world around you. I have the best job in the world. I don't preach the blues, I preach the good news. I've never had to say, turn to the bad news according to Matthew. It's always turn to the good news according to Matthew. Turn to the gospel. And we gotta go share this good news, this hope, this gospel, this makarios too blessed to be stressed with the world around us through action as we already know this is our identity. Look at verse 13. I love this. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and hide it under a bushel, but put it on a lampstand for all in the house to see. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, Jesus is saying, You're too blessed to be stressed. That's your identity with the king. Now, your actions for the king is that you're to take that blessedness and go be salt and light to the world around you. I love salt and light. I love when Jesus says, You are the light of the world. I think I said this last camp, but man, I hope when I die, people say Ben had a 2.0 grade point average. He made a lot of mistakes, and he sounded like a girl, but at least he was a lump of sunshine. (laughs) I I always like to say that. Like, I hope my tombstone says here lies a lump of sunshine. Because Jesus didn't say you're destined to drizzle. You have a shine design. He didn't say you're the gray rain cloud of the world and go drizzle on peeps. I said, no, you are the light of the world and go give people soul suntans. I love hanging out with Aaron. I love hanging out with you guys because you just give me a soul suntan, man. And I, I'm going to go home to Oregon and my wife, Nisha, I call her the Nishinator. She's going to say to me, why, are you, why do you have the glow going on? Remember Moses, he went up to Mount Sinai and his face was glowing afterwards. He didn't have the MoJo, he had the glow. It's like, I've been hanging out with... I've been hanging out with these awesome lumps of sunshine, and now my soul is just the glow. Because Jesus, man, he gave people hope. He was the light of the world. He was the ultimate. And I say this reverently, lump of sunshine. I love how Jesus, he was so joyful. He had this mentality, he was too blessed to be stressed, that the Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness above all his fellows. Jesus was the most joyful person to ever live. Isaiah 53 calls him the man of sorrows in the context of going to the cross when he suffered hematidosis and the capillaries in his face burst, but he embraced the cross, despised the shame, looking forward to Hebrews 12, the joy set before him, even then that he'd be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But Jesus, he was so joyful. Kids loved to be around him. He got in trouble for partying and eating too much. Oh, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's a drunkard and a glutton. I love how they accuse Jesus of being a glutton. It's like, if we weren't meant to have midnight snacks, why is there a light in the fridge? I love how the first thing Jesus does when he rises from the dead in John 21, according to the story, he, he says, do you have any food? <laughs> and then he makes them catch 153 fish, but as if that weren't enough, he was already making a barbecue on the beach. He had fish and bread. Like He's like, and I'll multiply this lunchable to feed even more if you want. But he loved to eat. I love that. He had so much joy. Jesus loved to spread The too blessed to be stressed joy to the world around him. I love this. Jesus compared himself to one who plays pipes in the marketplace that we might dance. He said, John the Baptist has played funeral music and yet you did not mourn. He said, I have come to play pipes in the marketplace. And he got mad because he said, you weren't dancing. How cool is that? That Jesus got mad at people in Luke because they weren't dancing. You know, the Bible talks a lot. We're to have so much joy that we go through the world like dancing. Dancing. The Bible doesn't say we have to dance well. It just says praise his name in the dance. Psalms says praise his name in the dance. I can't dance like the Beebs or Justin Timberlake. White boys can't dance. But it doesn't say I have to dance well. Just praise his name in the dance. It doesn't say I have to make a beautiful melody like Pete Denham. It just says I have to make a joyful noise. I can't make a melody, but I can make a noise. You're going to go through like Jesus said, I played pipes. Why aren't you dancing? Dance in defiance of the dark. Dance upon disappointment. The Bible says he turns our mourning into dancing. The Bible says he turns our sorrow into joy. The Bible says he gives us the garments of praise in exchange for the spirit of heaviness. The Bible says he gives us beauty for ashes. The Bible says he gives us the oil of joy in exchange for mourning. The Bible says if you sow in tears, you're gonna reap in joy. The Bible says weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The Bible says praise his name in the dance because life ain't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Come on. That's how God has called us to live. You dance in defiance in the dark. I played pipes. Why aren't you dancing? Jesus is saying, I'm coming to give you a joy, John 16, that no man can take from you. So basically, just go be a lump of sunshine. But then verse 13, as I close, I love what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, not only are you to take this too blessed to be stressed identity and be a lump of sunshine with it to the world, but verse 13, you are to be the what? Now, when you say somebody's salty today, that's a bad thing. You're like, they're a buzzkill. But in Jesus' day, when you said somebody was salty, it was the best compliment you could give them. The Romans said there is nothing more useful than sun and salt. That's an ancient quote. And so in Jesus' day, to be salt was a huge compliment. Salt did a lot of really cool things. Like, for example, salt uh, would would keep decay at bay because they didn't have refrigerators. So you would pour salt on food, and it would keep, like... uh, decomposition and entropy and the second law of thermodynamics and like all of this decay it would keep it at bay so it was used to preserve food to keep it from going bad salt also uh, represented purity in the ancient world the romans said salt's the purest of all things because it comes from the purest of all things the sun and the sea though our sins were like scarlet they shall be white as salt or white as snow represents purity but i love these last two i love this If the band could come up at this time, salt lends flavor to life. Notice Jesus says, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned again? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Don't lose your seasoning. It's funny, notice how Jesus says, uh, if you lose your your zest for life, if you lose your flavor, you're going to be trampled on by people. Actually, historically, did you know that... um, some ancient Christian churches took this text too literally. And if you, like the guy in Corinth, were getting drunk on communion and sleeping with your dad's wife, and then Paul handed you over to the synagogue of Satan, when you repented and came back into the church, some churches would make you lie at the door of the church and and, and they would actually trample over you. And you would say, Trample upon me, for I am the salt that has lost its flavor. So if you sin, tomorrow morning we're gonna all walk on you at the door. <laughs> I'm joking. Jesus wasn't being literal, he was using a hyperbole. He was saying, If you have lost your zest for life, if you have lost your flavor, if you've lost your joy, you've lost your effectiveness. Do you guys have Red Robin in Southern California? Dude, when you go to Red Robin and you put that seasoning, do you know the seasoning salt that I'm talking about on the French fries? It tastes like hope feels. the world says of us, those Christians, they really suck the flavor out of life. We missed our calling. But if the world says of us, those Christians dance in the name of the Lord, Psalms. He's turned their mourning into dancing. They thy, they leap for joy. Those Christians, they make a joyful noise. Those Christians bring out the flavor in life. Jesus says, ah, You have fulfilled your teleologic design. You have fulfilled your calling. You are living your destiny. So we're to lend flavor to life. We're to go out with our identity. We're too blessed to be stressed. And we're to go bless others when they're stressed. And lastly, salt makes people thirst. It makes them thirsty. I'm not talking about that kind of thirsty. I'm talking about literally thirsty. Psalm chapter 42 says, My soul thirsts for the living God. And you'll notice that salt, it makes people thirsty. Like when you go to the movie theater, you buy their popcorn and they put a bunch of salt on your popcorn because then halfway through the movie, after eating so much salt, you get so thirsty that you have to go to the concession stand and buy their $25.50 drink. It's an awesome business tactic. Salt makes you thirst. Guys, we're to live with this mentality. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I have the God of peace who gives me the victory. So much so that the world will thirst for the hope that we have. And they'll say, Psalm 42, my soul pants for the living God like a deer panteth for the water brooks. And we'll say, let me lead you to Jesus who in Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are you who are thirsty for you shall be filled. We'll lead him to John chapter 4 where Jesus said, If you thirst, come to me, and I will give you water that will cause you to never thirst again. We'll lead them to John 7, where Jesus said, Whoever thirsts, let him come to me, and out of his belly will gush forth torrents of living water, This spake he of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to give them the Lord. We're going to give them not the blues, but the good news. We're going to be lump of sunshine, salty, delicious Christians. We're going to be delicious disciples. We're going to be tasty titans. We're going to be scrumptious for our Savior as we savor the Savior. I know you're going through a hard times, some of you tonight, but I want to tell you, even if you're broke like a joke, even if you're starving, even if you're thirsty and hungry, even if you're persecuted, even if people are wronging you, you have to make peace. You are on the happy island of God-like bliss because you have a different mindset than anybody else. You have the Holy Spirit inside of your heart and you have God's word inside of your mind as you meditate on it. And when bad things happen to you, it's okay. You've changed the way you look at things. You don't see the weed. You see the wish. When you're broken, you're like, hey, I'm a glow stick. I'm the light of the world. Sometimes I break before I shine. I ain't going to say, why me? I'm just going to say, try me. The struggle is real, but so is God. Life is tough, but God is tougher. My past supply ain't my last supply. I'm going to be strong when everything's going wrong. I'm going to have a checkup from the neck up get rid of stinking thinking and have an attitude of gratitude because outlook determines outcome. And when my outlook gets bleak, I try the up look because if I change the way I look at things, things will change the way they look The problem is never the problem. The problem is my attitude about the problem. So I need a B attitude, not a bad attitude, which is like that flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. Because listen, my hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than my problem. And when my problem is too big for me, it's just the right size for God. Why are we too blessed to be stressed? Because just because bad things are happening around me doesn't mean they need to be happening inside me. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control what comes through me. God doesn't do anything to me. He only does things for me. And if God's going to do something for me, he's first got to do something in me. So don't look down and give up. Look up and get up. Jesus rose so you can rise and you'll say my faith will never be dictated by my circumstances, but rather my circumstances will always be dictated by my faith. I'm the light of the world. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm too blessed to be stressed. So let's dance in defiance the Come on, man. Let's sing. Let's sing.